Good evening and welcome to the service this evening for our teaching tonight. I would like to talk about a doctrine or a teaching that I don't think we make enough of, make a big enough deal of it, and that is the second coming of Christ. The Apostle John said that if we have this hope within us, speaking of the hope of one day seeing Jesus face to face, we will purify ourselves even as he is pure. Maybe if we spend a little more time thinking about life on the other side of the grave, it actually might do something for us as far as living a pure and godly life. I wonder sometimes if we don't spend enough time considering the second coming of Christ. Now, there's a lot of diversity around the end time and the second coming of Christ, and I think sometimes we shy away from speaking on it for that reason. Two major questions or concerns, two major concerns, questions concerning using the second coming, God's wrath, eternal punishment, using that lest people are motivated by fear to serve Christ rather than love. Probably one of the reasons that we hesitate to uh, preach on things like the second coming, eternal punishment, hell, heaven, some of those things. Another uh, possible concern is just making too many, uh, much emphasis on life after this earth. Too little concerning the kingdom of God being here today. Now, I believe that the kingdom of God is with men today. Jesus clearly said that the kingdom of his, is, is within you. So the kingdom is here, but... I believe while we're here, we're a part of a kingdom, we have a king, we're servants, we have a law, and all of that. But you know, we're not planning to stay here. We're looking forwards to spending eternity with God. Jesus did not hesitate to speak about heaven and hell. He did not hesitate about speaking about his wrath that will be poured out on all ungodliness. He did not hesitate to clearly say that some people will make it and some people will not make it. Actually, I understand that Jesus talked more about eternal punishment than numerous other doctrines that we hold so important. Let's just consider some of Jesus' words, just a few of them. Matthew 10, 28, talking, Jesus talking to those who were, would face persecution and actually would face martyrdom. He said this in Matthew 10, 28, and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, that's pretty straightforward. Don't you be afraid of those people that can just kill your body. That's that's the worst they can do. That's the worst they can do. They have no ability to do anything to your soul, but you fear him. That after the body is dead, he has the ability to turn the soul into hell. Jesus didn't mince when it comes to those kind of things. Matthew 5, 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. 
And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Jesus didn't mince words. Matthew 5, 29, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members shall perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. But not only that, Jesus was very inviting and even persuading us that, hey, someday come and live with me. I want you to come and live with me. Uh, John 14, 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. A very clear invitation. And I think that goes beyond just living for Christ and with Christ in this life. In fact, you and I most likely have heard, and there are many of them, where... Jesus, God, has visited people and had used the second coming to get their attention. Normally where we see this happen is where you have folks that are steeped in a false religion. They maybe never had a Bible. And sometimes God will visit them. Actually, there's a story of a young man named Jimmy. He was a Buddhist. And he got soundly converted. Born again. And he was so excited. He hurried home to tell his family. Who were all Buddhists. And very strong Buddhists. And when he told them about his salvation. And about his sins being forgiven. And that he has a relationship with Jesus Christ. His father got so mad. He threw him out of the house. His mother fainted, and his only brother said that someday I'm going to kill you because it's worse living with someone with a false religion like this than to deal with the fact that we have to bury him and won't see him anymore. So Jimmy was thrown out of his house. As he left, he told his brother, I will be praying for you. It was only a short time later that Jimmy's brother was sleeping one night and all of a sudden he had this dream. In this dream, it was 3 a.m. in the morning, a blinding light broke through the roof of the house and came through the ceiling of his bedroom. It was a cloud. There were three fiery light creatures it was a trumpet that blew so loud he was sure the whole earth could hear it. Three angels, one blowing the trumpet. The second one said, it's time for the reaping of the harvest. And the third one swung his sickle over the earth and cried, now is the earth ready for harvest. And then he saw one in the cloud as described as we know it by John the Revelator, Son of God. He was absolutely terrified. Wasn't the last one he had. He had more similar dreams to that. Finally, he was so besides himself, he was scared to go to sleep at night, he finally did what he thought he'd never do. And he called his brother Jimmy and he told him what happened. Jimmy said, my brother, I can tell you what it is. You can read about it in the Bible. It's the second coming of Christ. His brother continued to hold out. Life became so tormenting and unbearable that one day he finally pulled the Bible off the shelf and he read it for himself. And sure enough, 
He got soundly converted. There's more stories like that. Jesus, God the Father, is not afraid to use the second coming by dreams and visions in people's hearts and minds to bring them to Christ. Now, we that are sitting here today, tonight, I'm not so sure that you should expect it. We have the Bible. We've been taught the truth. These things are known by us. But many times it's for those who are steeped in a false religion. We can be reminded of that, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't wait to have some extraordinary happening. You know, I pray that sometimes when I'm really becoming desperate for a soul that needs to get saved. God, would you visit them in their dreams? Would you visit them in their dreams? But I remember that that's asking pretty much. Because if you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus, how the rich man, he died and lifted up his eyes in hell. Another very, uh, very specific story that tells us of the reality of hell and heaven. He lifted up his eyes in hell, being tormented. Saw Lazarus sitting in Abraham's bosom. And uh, he asked just for one drop of water, which... That wasn't even possible. But the second request he had was that Lazarus would be resurrected out of the grave. Lazarus would come back to life and then he would go back to the rich man's brothers and tell them, hey, I was over there. I saw your brother in hell. I heard him talk to me. It is real. Abraham said, no. Look, if they don't believe the prophets, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't even believe if someone arises from the dead. Which is very true because the rich man, I suspect that he was a good Jew. I suspect that the rich man probably every Sabbath day found himself in the synagogue And what did they do in the synagogue? They read the scriptures. And so I'm sure that he heard many of those things, like in Amos, where it says, prepare to meet thy God. He may have actually heard the reading in Leviticus, where it said, if you see any of our, I'm going to just paraphrase it, you see any, the poor among us within your gates, you need to meet their needs. Every day he walked right by his Jewish brother who was laying there at his gate and never cared. He sat there every synagogue, every Sabbath on, at the synagogue, probably hearing many, many things. And it went in one ear and right out the other. And so I don't expect that it will be too quick that we will have those kind of visions and dreams. My title tonight is Prepared or Unprepared. Before we go into that, if we could just stand and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful this evening that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was willing to come into this life, into this world, to give himself as an offering that through Christ Jesus, we could be translated. From the one kingdom to the other, I am thankful that through the work of Calvary that I could know what it means to be delivered from the old man. I am thankful that the work of sanctification not only is a one-time thing, but it's ongoing. I am thankful that you have promised that if we confess our sins, you're faithful, you're just, you will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I am thankful this evening to be a part of a kingdom where there's a king, where we can be the subjects, where there is a law, where there's order, where there's direction. But ultimately, we're looking forward to one day be delivered from these physical bodies. Oh God, help us with that hope that we have 
to purify ourselves, even as you are pure. So we ask, as we look into your word this evening, that you would open it up to our hearts, our understanding. I pray, Father, we wouldn't be like the rich man, and that the word of God would just go in one ear and out the other. Help us to be attentive, touch our hearts, awaken us that are sleeping. May you receive all the honor and the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turning your Bibles to Matthew 24. And we're going to read uh, from verses 36 on to the end of the chapter. And uh, we want to consider here that a very good possibility that we are here reading about three comings. Three different comings. I think if we try to take Matthew 24 and fit it all into one coming, I think we get ourselves into big trouble. But I think we see here three comings. One would be God coming in judgment in Noah's day. Second of all, God's coming in judgment at AD 70 at the destruction of Jerusalem. And I believe we all see, so see the reflection on Jesus Christ coming the second time with power and glory. Let's read these verses starting in, what did I say? Verse 24. Matthew 24, uh, I'm sorry, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. He would have sat up all night long. Ah, oh, I know he's coming at three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to meet him at the door. He doesn't know it. The thief comes unexpected. Therefore, verse 44, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. In other words, be busy while you're here. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he's not aware of. And shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, Jesus does not beat around the bush when it comes to eternal life and eternal punishment. There's some similar things in each one of these. Uh, as we consider the comings, and we're going to take a moment to look at these different comings. But in each one, there are those that are prepared and there are those that are unprepared. There are those who are prepared and they see the coming. There are those who are going through life unprepared and it comes upon them like a thief. We'll see that in each one of the comings. Prepared or unprepared. We'll see that in each one, there are those that are watching. They're watching. And there are those that are not watching. So we have a number of comings. Let's consider the first one. 
the prepared and unprepared of Noah's time. The Bible tells us God saw the wickedness of man. It was great on the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only con- evil continually. We're also told in 2 Peter chapter 2 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so I believe that Noah was teaching and preaching. There is a flood coming. Amazing. Preaching all that time of a hundred years, whatever it was, and only saved his own family. Only saved his own family, but he did the right thing. You know, it's interesting if you read the account that the people specifically were warned seven days before it started raining. Read the chapter. Seven days before rain fell out of the sky. They were warned within seven days it's going to happen. And it didn't move anybody. It didn't move anybody. Except for Noah, his wife, his sons, and his sons' wives. So in that seven days, all of these animals came together. I mean, that would have been a phenomenon all in itself. And I would have said, wait, there's got to be something here. All these animals come together and up into the ark they go. Noah goes up in, they close the door. Now, I don't know, did that happen? And as soon as Noah was in, it was the end of the seven days and it began to rain. I would like to think that God shut him up. And there they were, shut up in the ark, and everybody's standing back there looking like, this is interesting. There they sit on dry ground. They said it's going to rain. Who knows in the seven days? Maybe it went two days that they sat there. I don't know. It just said in that seven days is when they went into the ark, and God shut the door. Can you imagine... Imagine with me the stark reality when the first drops started falling out of the sky. Noah was right. Noah was right. What he said all along is true. Can you imagine? I can't imagine people scrambling to the highest hill, to the highest tree on the hill, to the highest mountain. The reality, the prepared And the unprepared. I think at that point, I think at that point, anybody would have gave anything to just back up a few days and make a different decision. But it's true in all the comings. It's true. The prepared are ready. They're watching. They're waiting. They're ready. The unprepared, it just comes on them. Like, uh uh-oh, I missed it. Matthew 24, what we read there, for in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying. Somebody might have been getting married that day. The preacher just said, in seven days it's going to rain. You've got to come into the ark with me or you're not going to be safe. They might have been getting married that day. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Let's consider the next coming. And that is the prepared and unprepared in Egypt. Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt to preserve their life for the seven years of famine. Through the course of the time they spent down there, they became Egypt's servants. They were ill-treated. God raised up Moses as their deliverer. They went through all the plagues. And when it came to the last plague, I looked because I'm thinking, didn't Pharaoh know? Didn't his servants know? Didn't the people know? Weren't they told that at midnight, the death angel is going to come and destroy? Yes, Moses was right there in front of Pharaoh and his servants and said, God is going to do one more big thing. At midnight, the death angel is going to come and he's going to kill all the firstborn. Pharaoh said, I don't want to ever see your face again. 
And Moses said, you won't see my face again. The prepared, the unprepared. So, of course, they were supposed to take a lamb. They were supposed to slit his throat. They were supposed to catch the blood. They were supposed to put the blood on the side post of the door, on the lintel, so that as the death angel comes visiting each house, sees the blood, he will pass over you. The Bible does say that when the Hebrews left Egypt, that along with them went a mixed multitude. Now, that was probably some Egyptians. I wonder, and we're not told, I wonder how many Egyptians that night said, you know what, I'm only safe if I'm with the Hebrews. And that they might have joined the Hebrews. I don't know. I would have been wise. I would have been wise. They were supposed to eat the lamb, and they were supposed to either eat it all, or they were supposed to burn it. They weren't supposed to leave any of it behind. They were supposed to eat the lamb with their shoes on, with the staff in their hand, and all dressed, ready to go. Prepared. Prepared. I think it speaks to us tonight. That we need to be prepared people. The death angel is going to come across. We want to be ready and waiting and watching. Wouldn't have that been exciting? Ooh, midnight, hear the cry. The Bible says that at midnight, the death angel came across. There was a great cry. A great cry rang across Egypt as the people awoke and realized what happened. Revelations 1.7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I can remember visiting Haiti a few times. One time in particular, we started... We heard this wailing way up on the mountain, wailing. It would crescento, drop, rise, fall, wailing. We knew somebody had died, and within just an hour, we saw a group going across the mountain, carrying the coffin, the wailing, the wailing of Egypt, the prepared and the unprepared. The third we want to consider is the prepared and unprepared at the destruction of Jerusalem. It was spoken of by Jesus many times. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And as we know it, the army came and they surrounded the city. And uh, the idea is to hold them in the city until they're starved, until they can't survive, and they finally open up or give them opportunity to come in. Now, Jesus said ahead of time, Jesus told those that were listening that there's going to be an escape. There's going to be an escape, and this escape window is going to be so small You need to be watching for it. You need to be looking for it. You need to be alert and awake. If you're up on the housetop, don't go down into the house to get your clothing or to get things. When you see the very specific opening, you need to go immediately. And you need to go fast. And what we get from Josephus is that Titus and his army retreated for a very short time. They retreated. Those that were watching, those that were alert, those that were prepared got to escape. They got to escape. Jesus told them, flee to the mountains. Flee to the mountains. Pray that you won't be nursing. Pray that it won't be in the winter. But watch for that escape. The window of opportunity was so small. You know, folks, Josephus doesn't mince on his words when he talks about the 
horrible things that were going on inside the wall, inside Jerusalem. It got so bad that women were eating their own babies. And he even writes a story of one woman who ate her baby in secret, and when her relatives came and said, hey, you've got to share with me, they gave a big brawl right the very night that the army was climbing over the wall. We need to be a prepared people. We need to be a prepared people. Another prepared or unprepared that we have is the coming of the bridegroom depicted in the parable of the ten virgins. You know, I believe all of these comings are pointing to another coming. That coming will be one day a surprise too. That coming will be for the prepared and there will be many that are unprepared. All of these comings, I think, are pointing forwards to another coming. And so there's so many things where these things are wrapped together. So the ten virgins referring to the betrothal. The betrothal works a little bit different than our courtship. A young man decided that he wants to marry a young lady. He took his father, I guess, and he went to visit this young man or or visit this young lady and asked for a proposal of marriage. Will you marry me? She didn't get time to get to know him. Will you marry me? And if she agrees to it, they have a ceremony there that is fairly binding that she has promised and he has promised to keep themselves for each other while they go their separate ways and prepare for the actual marriage. I understand the way it worked. She needed to prepare. She didn't know when he's coming. He was going to come one day, one night maybe, with his whole group of men. And as he comes down through the valley, he'll blow the trumpet, and all of a sudden she'll hear it. Now it was in the utmost interest of every young woman To be prepared. I want to be ready. And that is where we get the idea of the ten virgins. And so we have the ten virgins. While they all slumbered and slept. That's the period of time that uh, preparations were made and were waiting. We have the prepared, the five wise. We have the unprepared, the five unwise. The five wise had prepared. They were all ready. The dress was ready to put on. The, the, everything that was needed to start housekeeping, it was all ready. Everything was laid out perfectly ready that within a few moments' time, she could be out the door and meet the bridegroom coming. The unprepared, they were just so dilly-dally about other things in life and never actually got ready. How terrifying to wake up in the middle of night And hear the bridegroom coming. I'm not ready. How disappointing. And I'm sure for the Jewish people, they would have said, that don't happen. We don't do that. But it happens all the time when we consider these different comings. The five foolish. Hey, we're not ready. Can you help us get ready? No. Nope, we, you're gonna need to go, you need to go somewhere else to buy your oil. Can you imagine the disturbance and all that disturbance for nothing? They get to the door, the wedding feast, and the door is closed. Please let us in. It must have been the most disheartening scene anyone could ever witness. Then we have the future second coming of Christ. Again, the prepared and the unprepared. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. I think there's a lot of parallels with these different comings as we consider the second coming of Christ. 
We're looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, and reading down to verse 8 in chapter 5. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. It's not a fairy tale. By the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as the thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And that's the unprepared. But ye, brethren, the prepared are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're all the children of light and the children of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, let us who are of the day be sober, watching, prepared, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Let us watch. Let us be sober. Turn over to Matthew 25. Back again, almost to where we were. I think it's interesting that this chapter follows chapter 24. Matthew 25. I'm not going to read it, but uh, not all of it. The first 13 verses refers to the five Foolish and the five wise, prepared and the unprepared. 14. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country, called his own servant, delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And we go on down through. You Bible readers know well. Down to the one. 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strolled. I was afraid, went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. Then in my coming I would, should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him. Give it unto him which had ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given. He shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath cast. Oh my, cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All depicting the difference between the prepared and the unprepared. Using our talents well, using our moments here while we have them. Using them well, being busy. Because one day, the master's coming back and we will give an account of our lives. We have then the sheep and the goats being separated. Well, we may say, I love my freedom. I just want a little time to enjoy my freedom. You know, the Bible has clearly told us that serving self, serving sin, and serving the devil is bondage. The pleasure, as Moses said, Or as it was said of Moses, he chose suffering with the people of God then to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Solomon clearly told us over and over again, I've tried it all. I tried to find some kind of satisfaction that will go on, but I couldn't find it. He said, 
Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Jesus is inviting the weary home. Come unto me, all ye that labor, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Rest for the soul, a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light. The invitation is there for us. For many, the only regret, the only regret when Jesus comes back is that they didn't get born again sooner. The only regret. Young man, terminal illness. And as that terminal illness was, uh, he was told about his terminal illness. He will not live. He will die. Uh, he got born again, he got saved, and for a number of months, as his life slowly started fading away, he enjoyed his salvation, his forgiveness of sin, his relationship with King Jesus. One day his mother walked by his room and heard him lost, 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 and she quickly went back to the doorway and said, my son, have you lost your faith? He says, no. He said, but my life, it's it's lost. I could have, I should have done so much for Christ. And I didn't. I didn't. In Luke 12, a man who only lived for himself, he said, I will pull down my barns and build bigger. Soul, take your ease, eat and drink and be merry. A wasted life. The years that could have been spent for a cause that would prove dividends. You know, there's another thing that Jesus didn't somehow evasively wind into his teachings. And that is that of eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. Lay up treasures over in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal. I'm going to serve. And I, I, don't believe, I don't believe that if there were no rewards, I would still serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's rewards. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to be. I have no idea. But Jesus said we're supposed to lay up treasures over there. Whatever that is, I am going to do everything I can in this life to please my Savior and to lay up treasures over there. And the more time I have, the better. What did Jesus say about this man? But God said unto him, thou fool. That's pretty strong language for someone who just simply lived an easy, pleasurable life and never made a commitment to Christ. Thou fool. This night, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. There was an Indian that told a missionary that he believed in Jesus Christ and meant to give him his love someday. A native helper that was with the missionary turned to the man and said, Now, if you and I were walking through the jungle and came face to face with a tiger... And I stood between you and the tiger, and I said, now run as fast as you can go. Would you love me someday? The native saw the power of the friend's argument and said, I'll give myself now. Jesus used three parables to express his delight and joy in the salvation of souls. Yes, even that one lost soul. One lost soul. We have the lost sheep, we have the lost coin, and we have the prodigal son. Listen to each one of them, what was said about them. Luke fifteen seven. as far as the lost sheep, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven. Over one sinner that repenteth 
more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. I think we forget about the activity that goes on in heaven. We all rejoice, but there's a lot of rejoicing that goes on over there. It is just so important. And I know, I know that God wants to save us for more than just so we can go to heaven. But he doesn't say, I'm only saving you so that you can enjoy the earth. He wants us to enjoy a relationship with him today, but he didn't mince with the words that one day you can be with me in eternity. Of the lost coin, what did he say? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. And the prodigal son, likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Excuse me. Luke 15, 22 of the prodigal son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead, is alive again. He was lost, is found. And they began to make merry. We see God's passion and interest for each and every soul. Each and every soul. Each and every soul that has been created in his image. The Bible is chock full of verses referring to the judgment of God and the eternal bliss and eternal punishment. A question we could ask is God's wrath, is it a passion or is it a principle? Is it a passion or is it a principle? Oh, God's just... Emotional, and when something upsets him, he'll take it out on you. No, that's not God. His wrath is a principle. God's wrath is seen not as a passion, but a principle. There is that eternal hatred of wrong, which corresponds to the eternal love of right. It was said of Jesus, he hated iniquity, and he loved righteousness. It's an eternal principle. The magnetic needle swings on a delicate axis. It attracts at one end and repels at the other. Jesus says, come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden. And he also refers to gnashing of teeth, wailing. A very, very delicate axis where that Rides on God's wrath is not an unchangeable passion, but an eternal and unchangeable principle. The vague, tenuous hope that God is kind to punish, is too kind to punish the ungodly, has become a deadly opiate. A deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. It hushes their fears and allows them to practice all pleasant forms of iniquity while death draws every day nearer and the command to repent goes unheeded. The whole New Testament is overshadowed by the certainty of a coming day of universal judgment by the problem sense of rising. How may we sinners get right with God while there's time? You know, I'm not so convinced that God is only interested and primarily interested that we live for him today. I think his passion is just as strong that we live with him for eternity. So that I believe that God gives opportunity And is interested in even deathbed conversions. I think we'd all have to agree that there would be a lot missed. And who would be a loser? The person who had a deathbed conversion. He'll be the loser. Saved, but he'll be the loser. To live 70 years and never know the joy of forgiven sins... 
not to have that friendship that passes all other friendships, not to know the peace in the midst of turmoil, the awesome sense of fulfillment that comes from knowing that I'm doing exactly what I was created for, the healing and sense of wholeness we find in our own hearts and all relationships around us, the opportunity to lay up treasures in store over in heaven to enjoy throughout all eternity. I and I only will be the loser. In eternity, I will, will then realize how much I have lost. God has two agendas, that you and I would get saved to be an expression of him through the body of Christ, but he also wants us to be with him through eternity. John 17, 23 and 24, listen to this. John 17, 23 and 24, listen to the heart of Jesus. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, hast loved them. As thou hast loved me. That's now. That's what he's looking for now. That we can have this beautiful community of believers where we're all born again and we're washed and we're enjoying fellowship. But the next verse following. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Jesus longing not only to have a church us a part of a kingdom, have a kingdom here and now, but also looking for the opportunity to bring all of the saints home to be with him. Listen to what he says. That they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants you to experience the eternal joys and bliss of being with him in eternity. Humanity is on a runaway airplane, on a collision course, with only moments of time remaining. Yet people are so caught up in their pleasures and pursuits that they don't realize the urgency of their plight. Very clearly depicted. 1999, golfer Payne Stewart, five companions... They boarded their 2.4 million Learjet. They left the runway at 9.19 a.m. All seemed fine when they checked in with the air traffic controller a few minutes later. But for unknown reason, both pilots became unconscious when they could no longer reach them. Traffic controllers could no longer reach them. They send up two Air Force jets. And what they normally do is they go up and they fly alongside of it. One of the first things they noticed is no one was at the controls. There was no movement in the cockpit. And the windows were frosted over, suggesting that the cabin had lost pressure. Cabin became filled with the stratospheric air 45,000 feet above the earth. One of the Air Force pilots, one of the fellows that was flying the one plane, said this. It's a very helpless feeling to pull alongside another aircraft and realize the people inside the aircraft potentially are unconscious or in some way incapacitated. And there's nothing that I can do physically from my aircraft, even though I'm only 50 to 100 feet away. It feels helpless. It's the same way, you know, for us. You know how it is. You're praying for somebody that they get born again and they get converted. You know that they're on a downward course. One direction. But you can't force them to be saved. When one of its two engines finally ran out of fuel, the plane roller coastered through the clouds, heading toward final cataclysmic destruction. 
One air safety investigator said that airplane depressurization can be very insidious. He explained that the problem could slowly deprive the crew of its ability to know even what is happening. It could be one of those things when you're feeling good, you're feeling happy, and you actually don't know what's going on. The coming day of judgment, the second coming of Christ. And the Bible has clearly said that it's going to be in the, just like in the days of Noah. We're going on in life. We're marrying, giving in marriage. We're partying. All the time, that plane is coming down through the clouds and ready for a terrible destruction. The history of the New England states holds an interesting phenomenon. It has become known for its supposed foreshadowing of the Judgment Day, May 1718-80. The skies at noon turn from blue to gray, And by mid-afternoon, they became so black. I don't know why that is. I didn't do my history to find out what the cause was. Mid-afternoon, it got as dark as night. What happened? Men fell on their knees and cried out to God for mercy ere they went to their doom. On that very day, on that afternoon... May 19, 1780, the Connecticut House of Representatives were in session. When darkness fell by day, some began to shout and plead for mercy. Others demanded an immediate adjournment. The Speaker of the House, Abraham Davenport, called for silence. And then he spoke. He said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish the candles to be brought. The prepared and the unprepared. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Once there was a young man who found himself in water. He found himself drowning. He was sure he ain't going to get out. He cried, and there was a passerby that jumped into the water and threw a rope to him and pulled him to rescue. Several years after that happening, this same young man fell into sin. One of the things he did is he stole a car, and it got found out. And when he was brought before the judge, he was elated because the judge was the same man that had rescued him out of the water. Well, the trial came to an end, and the judge gave the verdict. You are guilty, and I must condemn you. Young man looked at the judge and said, Oh, but you were the one that saved my life before. He said, Young man, one day I was your savior, but today I'm your judge. One day, I was your savior, but today I'm your judge. So today is the day of salvation. The second coming of Christ. We're going to take some time, sing a song. And if you are one of those, not just if you're not born again and the spirit of God has been prompting you, 
But even if you're one of those who knows your life is not what it ought to be, this is the time to find freedom. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're one of those that have a sensitive conscience. Maybe you don't know what to do with it. I encourage you. Respond. Let somebody help you find your way through it. It's the prepared and the unprepared. Are you prepared or are you unprepared? Do you have a song for us? 629. As we sing, come, take care of it tonight. One day I was your savior, but today I'm your judge. Oh.